Come on, Steve. We've got D in the carpet. Failure is not an option. It's a problem of motivation, all right? Boy's got a mouth like a cannon, always shooting it off. Yeah, something like that. It's the good stuff. And here we go! Shake it back! <laughs> Does that feel good? Yeah, it rhymes. They're both verbs. Awesome. So listen to that. Welcome back to another episode of Strictly Outside the Lines. Before we jump into it, I want to take a minute to thank all of you, um, to thank all my listeners, all of those of you who are giving me feedback um, on the shows, what you're liking, what you think could be improved on, how the shows have been impacting your life. I really appreciate and, and really respect that feedback that you've been giving me. I also want to say, you know, I, I really appreciate the support and encouragement that you've given me. I have devoted my life and dedicated my life to helping others and helping others to live more meaningful, impactful lives. And this is kind of just the latest method through which I'm going to do that. So to know that I'm actually doing that and that it is having an impact is very gratifying. So I really want to thank you for that. And then just the the ongoing encouragement that I've been getting from all of my all of my listeners, all of you, um, to continue doing this. You know, it's really been been very impactful for me, and it's really helped me to gain clarity on how I can better help and impact even more lives. Um, So I greatly appreciate that. And of course, for those of you who are followers, I appreciate the fact that you are currently following um, the show, whether on Spotify or um, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you're following it. Again, I appreciate that. That helps immensely uh, with the algorithm and getting this out to more and more people. And for those of you who are sharing it, um, again, that that even helps even more. Um, you know, if there's a if there's an episode that you feel was particularly impactful, uh, please share it. I, you know, I encourage you to do that. Um, it really helped me a lot, and it really helps to help other people. Um, for people to know that that this is out there, that this is being said, these topics are being discussed, and and the reason why you know, and in, in general, I want to show my appreciation and, and gratitude to all of you for for listening and for all this. But I, I'm bringing it up specifically in this episode. Because um, I got a very, very good reminder this past week um, as to the impact of a voice and the impact of what one person can accomplish and what one voice can accomplish. Um, This week was a very interesting week because the last episode that I published, uh, you know, School is a Scam. So I got a lot of feedback from that. Um, I got some very positive feedback, people who were saying they love the episode, but also people who were saying they really related to the content of the episode. Um, And they related to the fact that schools as they are, are not how they should be or could be. So to receive that feedback um, was incredible. But I also got pushback. I had people reaching out to me telling me how they didn't appreciate the episode. And they felt that this was um, an unfair judgment of schools and and people and individuals and whatnot. And I appreciate that feedback as well. And it's not the first time that somebody has reached out to me and said that they didn't agree with with something I said. I mean, listen, if if everybody agrees with everything I say, then I'm doing something wrong, Uh, you know, plain and simple. So it was a very interesting week, though, to kind of see that, that I guess you could call it a juxtaposition, if that's the correct word. That's a fancy word I remember from my times in, in, in high school. Um, but it was interesting to see the difference in response 
those who who saw school as I see them and those who see this as, well, what are you saying? What are you talking about? That's not what school is. That's not what it's like. And there's different reasons for the, you know, the different perspectives that people had to share with me. Um, but I did want to talk about that a bit today because the more I thought about it and the more I, I thought about what I was saying and how I was saying it, and, and again, this show expresses m- my opinions. It's it's where I'm expressing my opinions based off of my experience and some research that I've done um, on whatever topic we're talking about. So last week it was school. School is a scam. You know, do I believe that school itself is a scam? Well, if you listen to the episode, obviously not to that degree. I do believe that the way school is being done nowadays um, is not the way it should be done. It was a model that was an age-old model that fit with the age that it was created in, but nowadays it just no longer fits. And again, we talked about that last week, and I said that this week we were going to focus more on, well, how do we make school to be what it can be, to be what it's supposed to be, to be what it should be. And so I do want to talk about that, but I, I, I want to talk about also the idea of complaining. Because... I feel like a lot of people out there like to complain. They like to complain about the things that aren't working. They like to complain about the things that aren't going right. They like to complain about other people. They like to complain about what people said. I had people complaining about what I said. Legit complaining. And, you know, I have no problem with somebody expressing their opinion. But the question is, what are you going to do with it? So here's the thing. If a person complains... And, by the way, I looked up the difference between complaining and venting because... Not too long ago, I did not like venting. Um, I could not stand when somebody wanted to vent to me. And let's be honest, um, to be totally transparent here, when my wife would come to me and say, hey, I need a vent, I I had a problem with it. Um, I mean, at the time, she wasn't even prefacing with venting. It was just she had a rough day or something wasn't going well or whatnot, whatever it was, and she would just kind of let loose and, and just tell me what was going on. Now, for me, as a very positive-minded person, and very solution-oriented, I think most men are like that as well, but I just wanted to solve things. But that wasn't what was working for my wife, and that's not what she needed. She didn't need solutions. She needed somebody to listen. She needed to vent. And it took me a long time to get myself to the place where I could be accepting of that needing to vent. Um, and it's something that I worked on with my counselor. It's something we worked on with a marriage counselor. And we got to the place where, you know, now my we have a system in place where my wife says, hey, can I vent about something? Or if she, she she's sending me a series of text messages, she'll say at the end, this was a vent. So I know, okay, this is something that she just needs to be heard. I can reflect. I can empathize with her, but I don't need to solve and I shouldn't try to solve. Because what was happening was she would vent and I'd try to solve and then I'd get upset at her for not <laughs> using the solution that I came up with when that wasn't what she needed. But there is a difference between venting and complaining. And I found this to be very interesting. A vent is actually something that is productive. It is helping you to move forward. Complaining is something that is passive. It's just because, this is annoying me, this is bothering me, so I just want to complain about it. And it's something that you really never move on from. Venting, on the other hand, is a form of a release. It's an emotional release. You experience something challenging, you experience something difficult, you experience something that bothers you, and you need to vent, you need to release, but then you move on. So here's the thing. Many people complain about what's going on in life and in the world. They complain about what's happening in schools, but they're not doing anything about it. In my books, if you are going to complain about something, 
but you're not going to do what is within your power to change that situation, then you have no right to complain. Now, I'm not talking about a situation where there is nothing you can do about it, although I feel that to be very rare situations. Obviously, there are extreme cases of, let's say people are stuck in a really bad relationship and there's not much they can do about it. Fine, I get it. That's no longer going to be complaining, that's venting, that's really needing to seek real help. I'm talking about a situation where you can complain, where you can complain and complain and complain, but you can also do something about it. For example, you know, living in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, New York, where we lived for the first six years of our life, of our married life, um, there were many people who were living there with us at the same time as us, and many people complained about how nasty New York was, how dangerous New York was, how gross it was, etc. Well, you could choose, or we could choose, to complain about it and do nothing about it, or we could choose to do something about it. Now, my wife and I chose to do something about it. We were in a situation where we were able to move on and move out. Now, not everybody's in that situation. I happen to have, you know, there's people that I know who, for medical reasons, they need to stay in New York, or for financial reasons, they need to stay in New York, or for familial reasons, they need to stay in New York. And thankfully, my wife and I were in a position where we were able to make that leap and take, you know, make that change. Where we were able to move out from those situations that we did not like. Now, let's be clear, it was not easy. We let go of a lot of financial support by moving out, but that was a calculated decision. But we made that decision to stop complaining and make that change. And again, back to my original point. If you're going to complain, but you're not going to make changes that are within your ability, you have no right to complain. If you need a vent about something, vent about it and move on. Find a solution or even just vent, get it off your chest and move on with life. But to just complain about something and complain how somebody said something that hurt my feelings or somebody is doing something that I don't like, stop complaining and do something about it. If there are people in your life that are treating you poorly, bullying you, teasing you, that you don't feel like they're, they're treating you right, get, out, get them out of your life. I've, I've already talked about my relationship with my father and where we were when my son was born and how we essentially cut him off for about a year and a half. Now, we still made, gave him the ability to come back into our life should he choose to and if he were willing to respect us. But even your close family, especially your close family, you need to set boundaries and parameters up with him. So that, I just wanted to get that out there because, again, I, I strongly believe, I do not believe in just sitting idly by and letting life, you know, <laughs> happen to you. I, 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 sp I was speaking to somebody today and I'm like, you know what, sometimes I just wish I weren't so ambitious. Because being somebody like myself who's very driven and very ambitious, I want to get things done. There's often times where I feel like I'm not doing enough and I'm unhappy with where I am because I know where I could be. Now, do I really want to be unambitious? No. I, I, I couldn't imagine myself being a non-ambitious person. Uh, you know, I, I have this drive to do more and to get more done. And while I can relate to individuals and speak to individuals and have a relationship with people who don't necessarily have any great aspirations or ambitions, they're still, they're still great people. I know a lot of people like that. I personally am a very driven, ambitious person, and there's so much more that I need to get done. But I was joking with this person about how sometimes I wish I, were, I weren't so ambitious because then life might be simpler. But that is not the life that I want to live. And I'm working on making changes. And chances are, if you're listening to this show, it's because you're very similar. 
you're in the same boat as I am. You know, you, there's something more that you're, you're aiming towards. There's something more you want to accomplish. There's something bigger and better than what you have now. And you are working towards it. And I, I admire that. And I respect that. And I honor you for that. So whatever it is, keep doing that. Keep, keep pushing forward. You know, to share a story that just recently happened with somebody I was working with. We had a, a complimentary call. And um, we were talking about a number of different topics. We were talking about family. We were talking about relationships. We were talking about career, finances. We were talking about moving. You know, all these things that are really big, you know, foundational concepts. And how really all these challenges that this individual was facing were really intertwined. Um, and we had a complimentary call. It was a one-hour call, complimentary session. I sent him notes afterwards and resources. And I gave him what I call life work to do. Um, it was a specific thing. And he was tasked with accomplishing this within a week and a half, two weeks. Um, and then he could follow up with me if he wanted to. A week later, I get a message from him saying, hey, I would like to call, schedule a follow-up call. So we get on the call and what he shares with me, he didn't end up doing the life work that we had set out. But by reflecting on the conversation that we had had, what he realized was that he could do all that he wanted to do. He could make those big life changes. And oftentimes that's all it takes. Sometimes it, all it takes is a conversation. A single conversation can change the, traje the trajectory of the rest of your life. Just one conversation and one action step. It's not enough to just talk about things, but you have to actually do things. So how does this all tie into the topic of education and, and chinuch, as we say in the world of Judaism? Well, I've been in education, as you know, for over 15 years now. And just like Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream, to use his words, I have a dream. And my dream pertains to the world of education. I believe that education can be more than what it is now. I believe that we can have schools that support our children, that support our students, that support our families, that support our teachers. I believe that we can have schools where everything works well, where people get along. I believe that we can have schools where people are happy, the teachers, the staff are happy to show up and they want to stay around, whether the pay is high or not, but they want to stick around and they want to accomplish great things because they believe in the school and they believe in their students and they believe in themselves and they believe in their administration. Here's the thing. It, it's work and it's going to take work and it's not so simple, but it's a lot easier than we really think it is. But as I referenced last week, you know, I have my vision and my version of what schools can and should be like. And I want to share some of that with you today. You know, that you look at the typical school model. Um, you have your board of directors. And they're the ones of, in charge of making sure that the school is financially sound. And then below them you have, you know, the administration, the head of school, the principals. They're the ones who are responsible for making sure the school runs, whether from a financial standpoint, making sure the, buzz, the budget is in check, making sure the money is being spent properly, or from the side of that, the principal making sure that the staff are trained and they're, they've got the curriculum that they need. And, you know, and then from there you have the teachers, and the teachers report to the administration who reports to the board. And the teacher's responsibility is to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do, that they're following that curriculum, that they're teaching the material, that the students are keeping up to where they need to be keeping up to. And then you have the students, and the student's responsibility is to learn, to show up and to learn. And then off to the side, you have the parents who are dropping the kids off at school. And if you're a good parent, you're 
involved in your child's education, making sure that they're learning what they need to learn, making sure they're behaving the way they need to behave, and making sure that they're getting what they need to get. And I'm not saying if you're not doing that, that means that you're a bad parent. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying an, a parent who is involved is doing these things. The problem with that is that it is a pyramid. <laughs> Talk about scams and pyramids. Um, this is a pyramid where everything is trickling down. So the board is out of touch with reality of who the students are and what their needs are. The board is most of the times out of touch with the teachers. The administration is most of the time not so in tune and in touch with the students. And really, everybody has to follow this structure. Now, you could say that, okay, so let's just flip it on its head. Let's say if the students are the primary, because that is, that fact of the matter is, that is a truth. Like the whole point of a school is to educate the children, to, to raise the next generation. So we can flip it on its head and say, okay, let's focus bottom down, right, or bottom up. Let's focus on the students, give them what they need, which means that we need to make sure that the teachers have what they need, which means we need to make sure that the administration is performing on the way they need to perform for the teachers, and therefore the board needs to support them. Even that's not such a great way of approaching this. The way I see it, and again, I'm coming from 15 plus years in, in five plus different schools and other various educational roles I've played, whether from camp counseling to working for a year in Hawaii, um, to starting up two schools from scratch. You know, I, I've been there, I've done that, I've been around the block a number of times. And what I've noticed is that because we're following this pyramid-like structure, we are missing out on key elements of communication, of education, of accountability. There's a lot missing from the picture. So how do we rectify that? Well, I, I sat down to draw it out the other day. And what ended up coming up was... A, a series of shapes that I could not begin to describe. But if you were to put all of the, the, the members involved in education in a circle, and you were to connect the dots, you'd have, you'd have lines going all over the place. Because here is the thing. Realistically speaking, now you may say I'm naive, you may say, say I'm out of touch and I'm out of tune with reality. Well, guess what? Reality hasn't been working. You look at the school system, it's just not working. It's not functioning. That's both in public schools as well as private schools, religious schools, non-religious schools, Jewish schools, Christian schools, all across the board. Most education nowadays is not, most educational institutions are not functioning properly. So I may be out of touch and out of tune with reality, and I'm happy to be there because reality is not serving the purpose. But if you look at what could be, if you look at what should be, well, the way I believe it is that Everybody, all those touch points need to be in touch with everybody else. So parents should not be on the sidelines. Parents should be heavily involved and responsible for their children's education. And not in the sense where they're bearing down on them and giving them a hard time about it. Really, more in the sense of, okay, what does my child need? What does my teacher need in order to support my child in that? What does a principal need? So let's look at it this way. The goal is to educate and raise the next generation of, well, raise our children and students to be the next generation of leaders and contributors to society. If we're not raising them to be contributors, we're raising them wrong. If we're raising them to be takers, like many people nowadays, they want, 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 want. Well, guess what's going to happen? Want, 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 want. That was corny. Okay. But if we raise them to, you know, just take 
and to only receive without giving, without contributing, we're, we're going down a really bad path. So the goal of education is to raise our children to become the next generation of leaders, thinkers, achievers, and contributors. So therefore, we need to look at the child, the individual, and say, what does this child need in order to be that person? Not what do I think this child needs in order to turn out the way that I want them to turn out. But what does this child need? Who is this child in and of themselves? And what, what, what are their specific needs? What are their unique talents and abilities? And what do they need in order to become the best that they can become? And by the way, anything I am saying that applies to a child applies to adults as well. Because my hunch is that so many of us have lost touch with our inner child. And therefore, we are no longer educating ourselves and we are no longer living the lives that we are meant to live. Now, what does that mean, the inner child? I don't know. It's something I'm still exploring. It's something I still need to figure out. But I do believe there's a correlation between that loss of inner child and where society is heading nowadays. But again, back back to the story at hand. So looking at an, at a child or looking at yourself, what are your unique, your, your unique talents and abilities? What are the things that you need in order to facilitate the growth in that area? I have a student, I've had students who were particularly excitable individuals, happy-go-lucky. Well, that's something to encourage and now teach them how to use that for the better the betterment of the class. I've had children and students who were very hands-on. So their educational process needs to be very hands-on approach. But more so than this, than just the academics, um, it really is the interconnectivity of all the elements here. So a parent is responsible for their child's education. They need to know their child. And by doing so, they need to be in contact and in touch with their the child's teacher and saying, hey, this is how this is what's working for my son. This is not this is what doesn't work for my son. This is what he likes. This is what he doesn't like. This is how my daughter operates. This is things that trigger her, set her off. And the parent needs to be in touch with the principal. The principal needs to be in touch with the teacher about each and every single student and in touch with the parents. And guess what? The teacher needs to be in touch with the principal and the parents and the student. And all of them need to be involved in the decision-making process of what does our children's education look like. That's pretty standard operating procedure. Beyond that, though, I believe, I strongly believe, the board should be held accountable by the parents and to the parents. There should be a relationship with the members of the board and the parental body. So many times I hear uh, the board wouldn't approve this fundraising thing. The board, the board wouldn't approve this expense because it doesn't make sense. Because fact of the matter is, bless their hearts and bless their souls. That's a Southern thing. Um, the boards are made up of individuals who are knowledgeable in business and finances and running organizations. And that's great. And we need that. But how many of them are actually in touch and in tune with the reality of real education? So many things are being shoved off to the side and not being addressed and not being helped because the board doesn't, they're viewing the school as how do we make sure that the school makes money or how do we make sure that the school has the funding that it needs, which is fine and it's important. I think the board should be there to help and inspire and encourage the school and its members to create those fundraising campaigns, to go out there and fund and teach them business principles of success so that the school can be successful, so that the fundraising is not entirely on the board. Let everybody communicate with each other 
so that together we're building a school. And here's the thing. I strongly, firmly believe the school is the center of the community. And therefore, the school needs to be offering services, not just for the students, but for the community at large, but specifically for the parents. Because at the end of the day, as I said last week, um, schools are pretty much at this point just glorified babysitting services. Why? Because parents are dropping their kids off, the teachers are teaching, and then they're sending them home. So the parents don't appreciate it, the students definitely don't appreciate it, and the teachers are overworked and they're burnt out. But here's the thing. If you look at it as this is one mode of affecting education and, and growing those children, and the parents need to be involved in that, which means the parents themselves need to be working on themselves, because education never ends. Education is not something that finishes after college. Parents need to be learning what it means to be a parent. How do I parent better? How do I become a better father? How do we, I become a better, better mother? How do, we be, how do I become a better spouse? How do we play a role in our child's education? How do we get in tune with our child? How do we, how do we know what our child needs? You know, my son's teacher came over to me today. My son walked out of the school building. He came to Reese's holding a globe. And he, he, was, looking at, um, he was looking at just different places on, on the map. And the teacher came over to me and she said, did you know your son really loves geography? And I was actually able to say, yeah, you know what? I actually, I do know that. I, I'm glad to say I know that because I've been paying attention to him. And she said, yeah, he was seeing how many times does Israel fit into Russia and how many times does Russia fit into here and how many times did you have to divide Russia in order to make it fit into whatever. So she was giving me this example of, of what my son was doing. And you know what? I was able to look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense because I'm in tune and in touch with who my son is and the things that interest him. I'm in tune and in touch with the fact that he's very into geography and he's very into math. And to be able to look at that and say, hey, I get that about my son. How many times do we as parents, and again, I've been there. I'm not criticizing you. I've been there where a teacher has said to me, oh, yeah, he showed really interest in this. I'm like, wait, what? Why would he be interested in that? Because I was out of touch with the reality of who my son is. So when you look at schools, schools should be providing during the daytime educational services to the kids, helping them to learn and grow and become better individuals. And I believe mandatory every quarter, four times a year, whatever it is, three times a school year, whatever it may be, schools should be providing workshops and seminars for the parents. And they are mandatory for the parents to sign up. And they're mandatory for the parents to show up to those. Because your job is not to drop your kid off at school. Your job is to make sure your kid is getting the best education possible. The best holistic approach to life and to education. And in order for you to ensure that your son is receiving what they need, you as the parent need to make sure that you are receiving what you need, which goes so far as to say, as a parent, you should be receiving counseling and therapy if you need it. As a parent, you should be getting a life coach. You should make sure that your life is on track in all areas. And so therefore, when we add on to that, a school should be a place where as a center of the community, they have a network. If they're not supplying them themselves, they have a network that they can tap the parents into for things like financial advice, life insurance, health insurance, whatever it may be. The school should be the center of the community so that any resource that the parent needs, they can go to the school and get that resource. Wait a second. What are you talking about? That's such a foreign concept. Yeah, it's a foreign concept, but this is what is needed. Because in my 15 plus years of education, 
I've seen this happen over and over again. A child suffers because the parent is suffering, because the parent is not able to take care of themselves. When a parent takes care of themselves, and a parent takes care of their home life, they can then better take care of their child. And I believe that the school can and should be the source for that support. And again, that doesn't mean the principal is doing counseling sessions, but it means that the principal knows what's going on at home and is able to say to the parents, I think you guys need to seek counseling. Here's a group that you should join. Here's somebody that you should speak to. They'll be able to help you out. And the parents should be able and willing to receive that. Because if we're not willing to grow and we're not willing to improve, then what are we here for? And again, the board's responsibility is to help facilitate that, to help make that a financial possibility, to help the school run like a business where it doesn't run off of people's tuition and donations on its own, but rather make the school a productive place. Let I heard about this in one place where there's a school that operates a coffee shop out of the out of the school, and the kids run that coffee that coffee shop. Why don't more schools do that? Let it be. This is something that that you know I, I've seen it here in Texas, and it blows my mind. It's brilliant, and I want to see this happen more in the Jewish world. There are a number of churches out here that have indoor playgrounds open to the public. Hmm, why would you do that? Is that so that the kids can go and play during services? No, I guarantee you it's not. My hunch is that they do it, first of all, because it's a service to the community, but also it's a service to the community at large. So a parent, a family, is looking for something to do on a, on a rainy Texas day. They bring, the, they, they bring their kids to this indoor playground and a church. I guarantee you there are church members there, whether parents of the church or pastors or whatever it may be, who are there. And when they see a new face, they go up to them and they start a conversation with them. And eventually what happens is those new parents end up seeing that, hey, this church is a pretty cool place. I'm going to start coming more often for religious services too. I want to see more schools doing that. And I want to see more, more, more shuls, more synagogues, Jewish houses of worship doing this. Oh, but it's a big financial. Uh, it's a big financial endeavor. Yeah, it is a big financial endeavor. Do it anyway. Figure it out. It's worth it for the sake of the community. The the shul, the synagogue, the house of worship, the school. These are all the centers of the community. If you don't give your community members a place to show up, they're going to go elsewhere. So I want to see this happening in more in more synagogues. Let them build playgrounds. Let them build indoor playgrounds. Whatever it is, get a donor. To, to, to fund it, whatever it may be, because it's a great way of bringing in new community members. It's a great way of supporting the community because here's the thing, a new family shows up to the playground and they're speaking to another family member that's, to, to, they're speaking to another family there. They're speaking, one mother's speaking to another mother telling her how she's having a really hard time with you know, postpartum and, and it's just so hard having a new baby and that mother can say, hey, you know what? I hear you. I've been there. Our church offers this really great service. Or let me put you in touch with this therapist I know. Or our synagogue, the rabbi at the synagogue is really great. Or, or the Rebbitson, you know, the rabbi's wife. She's really great with helping new mothers. This needs to be happening more. Because when we do this, and when we stop looking at, oh, I'm on the board, or I'm the principal, or I'm the teacher, when we stop looking at our titles, and looking at the goal of it all, and we start working toward, working together, towards a better future, towards a solution 
We stop complaining about how things are messed up or what this person said. I don't like that. He makes me feel like a bad parent. If we stop complaining and we start looking for solutions and looking for ways to help people out, you're going to see things are going to change drastically. All those things that we said, oh, that's so out of touch and out of tune with reality. Oh, that's such a far off idea. Those things are going to become a reality. And again, just like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he had a dream. He had a vision. And he went out there and he spoke about it. And he did something about it. He gave his life for the cause. And look at where we are. How far we've come. We are in such a better place because he was brave enough to speak up and to speak out. He didn't complain about what was wrong. He went out and he did something about it. He inspired people to do something about it. We can do the same. Whether you are a parent in a community, whether you are a student in a school, whether you are a teacher. If you are a teacher and you don't feel like you can... Go to your administrator and and tell him that you think there's things that need to change. Do it anyway. In my 15 plus years of education, I was always going to my administrator and telling them, here's what can change, here's what can improve. But it wasn't just, I don't like this isn't going well. It was, here's how I believe we can do it. Give them the solution that they need. Don't give them another homework assignment. Get in touch and in tune with your board members. Board members, if you're listening to this, if you are listening to this and you are the member of a board, be the one that's different than everybody else. Be open and willing to hear from the people that you are serving. You're there to serve. You're not there to put a title under your name. You're there to serve. And you can serve. Start a conversation. At the end of the day, that's what this podcast is about. That's what this show is about. It is about starting a conversation. And so many of you have reached out to me and said how when you listen to this, and I'm so grateful for this, it really, it, it, it really helps me to continue doing this. You've reached out to me and told me how it feels like you're having a conversation with me. And I appreciate that immensely because that's what I want this to be. This is not just the Baruch Dubrow show where you listen to Baruch Dubrow and his opinions. This is for you to hear what I have to say, hear what I'm thinking about, hear what I've learned, for me to share my experiences with you so that you can start a conversation. Whether you start a conversation with me, whether you start a conversation with somebody else, whatever it may be, this is your opportunity to start a conversation. And with that, I would like to say, welcome to the conversation. I'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast.